Hi, I'm Simon Rushton and this is Taxi Chronicles podcast. On this podcast, we spontaneously interview unsuspecting passengers with their permission, allowing them to share their intimate life stories and concerns. As our slogan states, real riders, real stories. Some riders prefer to be anonymous, while others ask me to tell their story later on. Either way, there are all genuine 5 to 10 minutes stories. So sit back and enjoy this episode. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, back with another rider, another day, another story. Today we've got a, a special guest here. He's been in the games business for, I don't know how many years, but it must be a long time. <laughs> he is explaining to me about the game Call of Duty and you know how they make it and all these kind of things so welcome today bob welcome okay so give us a bit of your background what you do what a typical day is like so first i mean i i answer the point how long i am in the industry i'm in the industry since 18 years so i spent my life and youth in the video games industry and uh, a typical ga- uh, a, a day of uh, a guy like me, unfortunately, doesn't look like playing video games all day, which many people think. I'm uh, more driving the commercial aspect of it, so I'm not a developer. Okay. Um, uh, typical day, day is basically a, a normal business, like any other business. Mm-hmm. It's just more dynamic and more fun because ultimately it's about entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what got you into the business? Honestly, an accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a good accident. <laughs> it was a nice accident, yeah. Um, I ran my own agency uh, many, many years ago, a marketing agency for youth and trend marketing in Berlin. And uh, then at one point I had to design, uh, decide to close down the business because we simply uh, have not been as successful as I hoped for. Then I was looking for a job and then this opportunity came up uh, back in the days from a company that um, uh, produced uh, and published Blizzard games, which is, uh, people may know World of Warcraft as an example. And I liked the idea because of course I was playing video games by myself, I just never considered to be in the industry. And then I applied and I uh, got accepted and this is how I got into it. (laughs) Okay. So you're, with your position in the, com- in the company regarding the game you work for, a lot of young people today are always promoting like these com- uh, very popular games like the Call of Duty for instance. Mm-hmm. Does your company encourage their like, people YouTubing on their games and all of that kind of thing? Of course, I mean, we do and we very much appreciate because these are both they are promoters, but they're also our fans in a way and represent maybe the top of uh, uh, of our fans, right? It's kind of a, a good way for us uh, to also talk to our fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we really uh, pay attention to, though, is that it keeps being authentic and credible, so we would never ask someone to do something for us or to stream our games if he's not really a fan and he doesn't like our game we would never ask someone to give a false impression or a false opinion uh, Mm -hmm. just uh, 
to satisfy our needs. We really want them to be authentic and credible with, uh, on their own channels mm. because that's the only way how these people also uh, keep having a large audience. So I described it earlier to you as a kind of a symbiosis, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we benefit from them as much as they benefit from our content. Yeah. And this is just how it should be. I understand, I understand. So when it comes to these games, what would you say is the future of gaming? Like for the, how is it, sorry, I should actually ask mm -hmm. you, how has the industry changed in the 18 years you've been in the industry? Oh, it changed a lot. And I think uh, the biggest change is uh, these days, uh, it's two things. One is uh, that people play more and more on mobile devices. Okay. So mobile games is a very, very large and big topic. And the other way is the way how you sell uh, uh, games and how games are made. So while maybe in the past it was typical that you launch a big game and then you wait another year and you launch another big game, today a game is more as a live service. We call it games as a service, which means you launch a game and then you basically you entertain uh, your fans and your community with the game for a very long time, deliver content updates, deliver um, also other ways of playing the game, interacting uh, uh, with us and with the community. Mm -hmm. So people want to be connected, want to play together or against each other. And this is just something that a, a game needs these days. There's a very famous gaming franchise called Fortnite, yeah. which everybody knows, right? that also changed that whole dynamics epically because they have been epically successful with a genre called Battle Royale. And at the same time, the game itself is for free. So you don't really pay anything up front. Okay. You download the game. And the monetization of the community works uh, in a way that we call microtransactions, where you basically can, you don't have to, but you can um, uh, modify your gaming experience, your characters have different skins, different themes and so on and can buy them. Right? Mm -hmm. And this changed the gaming industry quite materially in the last years and it's also the future. So it, it puts a personal touch for the client but at the same time it kind of makes it, it's a bit like it becomes a bit of a religion because you've got to, I suppose that game makes it much more in depth, much more longer, much more detail to it and you're doing in comparisons with other people. What's the main age group for gamers that you find? This is very uh, dependent on the genre of games. People always say it's typical male uh, 12 to 34, but I wouldn't say that these days. You have a variety of people who play video games, mm -hmm. especially in mobile games, you have much more female uh, 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 people women playing video games which is really great um, and it really depends on the diversity of what you offer for example Candy Crush which is a mobile game from King has probably mainly female customers you know what I never really thought of that as a game <laughs> I never really think of that I, I see what you're saying that is Candy Crush is one of those really addictive games yeah but um, that's yeah it's mainly women in it I didn't really I wouldn't even put I wouldn't have even put it in the classic area as a game I always think of um, Call of Warfare or yeah, yeah. Hitman or something like that 
but I suppose, yeah, those Call of Duty and Hitman, it's probably young men or men in general. Yeah, majority, yes, yeah. absolutely. But then Candy Crush, yeah. And it's not a black and white, of course. I mean, we have many, many, uh, a growing female audience, I have to say, on many games. But okay. you could say that there's, of course, a tendency that uh, men rather prefer action games or shooter games. Right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's... It's the it's the boy ripping up the flowers when the girl is picking them. <laughs> no, way, <yes. laughs> no, 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 that's of that kind of thing. What would you say you've learned about the industry that you wish you knew when you started? Oh, that's a big question. I, maybe two things. One is. Um, if you don't know it and if you're then inside it, it's much more a very tough business than just fun and joy that rains from heaven every day, right? Yeah, okay. At the same time, very often, um, uh, I have to say, it is still selling entertainment and I really love that. I love to work in something that is um, bringing basically joy and entertainment to people. Very often said to salespeople in our company, you, look, don't complain. It could be screws that you're selling. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, right? Uh -huh. And uh, I think uh, this is also what I definitely learned that if you work in entertainment, you have also a certain type of people who, who you meet there. Uh -huh. And uh, they're naturally a little bit more relaxed because these are people who understand that people would waste their time uh -huh. on playing a video game. Yeah. Right. I never see it as a waste of time because I, mean, I love it. We neither. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But I have to confess, I think I said this earlier before we started recording, I had to get rid of my PlayStation because it just, from when I can forget about the world moving around, it was like, this is gonna, it's fun. I love it. Um, but it's going, you've got to have a lot of self-discipline. Absolutely. If, if you're a grown man of children, yeah. you've got to have self-discipline. If you're a teenager... And your life defines that, honestly, if you have kids and other obligations, then very quickly, uh, I mean, the time that you can spend on it is fading, of course. Yeah. At the same time, and this is also something we are proud of, um, uh, during the pandemic, you know, when people yeah, had to look, lock themselves up at home... It must have gone through the roof, isn't it? It went through the roof. You must have lit, to build literally. more surface and yeah, stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and at the same time, while this is, of course, in a way beneficial to us, I mean, we, we, our biggest success is a free-to-play game where you don't have to pay anything, right? So yeah. we are very happy that we could uh, help people who were locked up at home okay. to have some uh, Was that a war game? Joy. It was Warzone that we launched in oh, okay, so March, accidentally, I have to say. We just launched it at the beginning of the biggest lockdowns. <laughs> okay. Has not been planned like this, but happened. Well, it's coincidence, isn't it? Well, you know, yeah, it's very beneficial. So tell me, how does the, how does that benefit you, the company when they give away a free game like that? And was it like marketing? Yeah, I mean, of course, you needed to build a big brand and you cannot just uh, stick something, uh, let's say, in platforms in the internet and hope that everybody downloads it and plays it, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for us, of course, it's a long 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 phase of building the brand so that you um uh, that you that's a little bit a more planable success mm -hmm. because the upfront investment in producing or developing a video game is massive right so i mean yeah. 
it's, it takes some effort and time to do something like this and you also have to accept that there's a risk attached to that. Uh, um, uh, and the deal with consumers for a free-to-play game very often is that you basically you can play the game for free and you have the same experience like uh, uh, every other person but you also can personalize your gaming experience by buying in-game items. Oh yeah, that, I see them, yes, the cash, yeah. yeah. And that the, the big debate always is uh, that you don't want to have a what gamers would call a pay-to-win mechanic so that you are more successful in the game just because you buy more, right? Yeah. And this is, I think, where you have to be very careful as a company to find the right balance yeah, yeah. so that you do have attractive things that people can buy, but at the same time, you don't need to buy them to be successful in the game. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. That's, that's, that's interesting. Now, talking about addiction and games, are games made to be addictive or is it just how they are? Oh, I had that question numerous times and I have to say we never make anything uh, with a plan to get people into an addictive behavior, right? Uh, for us it's important, of course, that the game is enjoyable and that people want to play that game and replay that game. And this is what we care about. And uh, everything else is probably also down to personality, which um, uh, of course can differ between people, right? I mean, but we don't really use the term addiction or addictive because this is not something that we have in our mindset. Okay, that's good, that's good. So, what what's the impact that you want to have on the world? Ooh, as, a, as a private person, my impact would be maybe a bit different as a... <laughs> What's the impact? I mean, we want basically to bring um, uh, joy and entertainment to people and we also uh, want to make the most epic entertainment that connects gamers, right? Uh, okay. So the impact that we want to have is basically that you can connect and use gaming also as a social platform in a way uh -huh. and of course have a good time and have a great time while playing our games. Um, and for you personally, as a private person? Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. What kind of impact do I want to have on the world? One is with which, who thinking I would, I would love to see the world becoming a better place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Both from a climate change perspective, as well as what we see is going on with democracies at the moment. Um, uh, not sure if I'm very successful with, with creating any form of impact there, right? Um, uh, but yeah, I think my, uh, privately, of course, your notion is more about uh, other things than, than, than professionally. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, the most popular game out there, do you know what that is? We love to say it's Call of Duty, because it's definitely the biggest entertainment franchise in the world. How is it? Yeah, yeah. It's but, funny how war and death is. Yes, <laughs> they say violence sells more than sex. Is only the only difference is because you can't sell sex to juveniles. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then I would say Fortnite, uh, with all due respect, is an extremely big franchise that grew to heights that have never been seen before. Uh, and they have all my kudos for that. Do you know how many people around the world play Call of Duty on average? 
changed so much um, uh, and so often, but it's. Uh, what's the recent number? Is it near a billion? Let's say around about 60 million. 60 million? Yeah. Is that. Oh, I'd have expected to hear like a billion or something. No, no, no. A billion is. is, is it's, I mean, How do you work it out? Is it based on sales? Is it based on who's live streaming? Uh, we have we know how many people play the game and are connected and we know that on a daily basis oh is this reading on your server yes, and I, of course in your podcast i cannot disclose yeah, yeah, the real fair. number so i just okay. answer around the topic a little bit <laughs> okay so i thought it's a public thing i thought it's like, okay yeah. all right well thanks a lot it's been a great interview and um, very informative thanks too bye Hi, this is a bonus track um, edition for the Call of Duty episode. A lot of the time they say the real interview starts when you turn off the mic at the end of the interview. It's because people get relaxed and they start to talk about what they really think or really believe and things like that. And I have to say, um, this Call of Duty is a game I really love and... I was addicted to it to the point that I had to actually ban myself from playing it, like I mentioned in the interview earlier. But he did talk about the addiction, and um, he's a nice guy. He had his son with us, with him, sorry. And um, what he spoke about is that, for instance, one time when his son was at school, he brought a load of games free. So you think about a game is like at least 50 quid and bought a load of games to the school as a raffle, a part of the prizes for the raffle. Now the mums or parents, you could say, had a meeting, a formal meeting about whether these games should be allowed for the kids to win. Now considering the games, it wasn't Call of Duty, so it wasn't the, um, the violent cut, slit someone's throat games, but you know, excuse me, this was actually a, um, a question. This actually was something that they decided that it was an issue. And he said, um, this is a classic situation. He said, as a father, because he's worked for this business for so long, he said his son has grown up with all the latest games, all the latest gadgets and everything that he brings home. And because he's been immersed in it so much, his son is not addicted to it. He can play it now and then easily switch it off and go on to something else. Where other parents, where they um, have regulated their children, only an hour here or only an hour and a half, the children have become addicted to it secretly because you've held it back. Which sounds like, um, excuse me, <coughs> sounds like many other addictive or alleged addictive things when you hold it from somebody they want it more than if they just have it all the time so that was one of the things um another question i asked him was about politics about obviously the russians and the chinese always seem bad in their games in these games and do and the arabs and are they do they ever complain to say you know, we can... Why can't you make us the the good guys and Americans the bad guys, for instance? Or at least, you know, do they come up with something like that? Say, well, American, if you're going to sell it to us in our country, it has to be shown the opposite way around. And he said, well, they don't get into that as a company. 
but he said there has been a case where they have um, actually it's become so political that they just decided they weren't going to publish that game and things like that. And there was other things that um, he spoke about. It was really interesting, um, like the use of who is a bad, who who is good. Um, should you have child war, child soldiers in a game? Um, even though it's reality, are you exploiting? Are you encouraging? Are you publicising it as if it's a positive thing? Which obviously they said, no, that's a bad idea. Um, you can't really justify that on a moral scale. And as a company, it's not a good look. But yeah, there was a number of things that he spoke about. And it was really interesting. So assuming I get some positive comments about this little bonus section at the end i may be doing giving you more bonus sections at the end of each interview assuming uh we do get that chance once the mic is turned off anyway have a great day we hoped you liked that episode keeping in mind we never know who we're going to interview we post twice a day 8 a.m and 5 p.m gmt Have you ever considered the future economies to invest in? Why not listen to our sister podcast, Africa Investor Stories? Considering Africa has the fastest growing economies and population on Earth and has done for many years, it holds 30% of the world's known natural resources. We publish twice a week, Tuesday with a guest investor and Friday's talking about investment, politics and history, providing a clear understanding for any potential investor.